If you're loving the Bible Brief, will you take just a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? We're having hundreds of people every week try out the show, and we want you to help even more discover the Bible Brief. Potential listeners depend upon your reviews to learn why they should listen. So will you do us a favor? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Join the cause to help the world learn the life-changing story and message of the Bible. Israel conducts its initial conquest of the land of Canaan as we review the life and times of Joshua leading the nation into battle on The Bible Brief. Did you know that The Bible Brief is a listener-supported show? Consider becoming a monthly supporter at our link in the show notes. blessings and the curses have been front and center since that final speech of Moses. The whole nation had heard them and listened intently to Moses' words. Words that Moses summarized like this in Deuteronomy chapter 30. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules. Then you shall live and multiply, and Yahweh your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving Yahweh your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that Yahweh swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Before his death, Moses was encouraging the people and warning them. He was reminding them of their duty to keep God's law that he'd given them starting at Mount Sinai. And he was helping them to see that God himself would be the strength of the nation as they entered and conquered the land of Canaan. He was telling them this, Love God, follow the law, and take the land. Yet as Moses finally died, his death becomes an inflection point for the nation. At his death, they lost the greatest prophet Israel had known. Yet his passing was also a signal that it was time to enter the land long ago promised to their fathers. Joshua would take leadership of the Israelites. He had been commissioned by God with words that would define his life. God had said, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. God would be with Joshua, but Joshua would have to put away his fear and put on courage to conquer the land of Canaan with the people of Israel. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the next generation of Israelites was ready to enter the land, and their entrance was nothing short of miraculous. Just as God had split the Red Sea in the Exodus, 
So here at the eastern edge of Canaan, he splits the waters of the Jordan River so that his people can walk through into the land of promise on dry ground. God was showing that he was with his people, just as he had been with their parents as they fled Egypt. And they would need that encouragement. Soon they would meet their first battle at the fortified city of Jericho. It had high walls, defenses essentially impenetrable for the Israelite army. Yet God instructed the people to simply walk around the city for seven days, walking around it seven times on the seventh day, before blowing trumpets and giving a hearty shout. This obedient action by the people would be the downfall of Jericho. The city walls fell down flat, and all in it were devoted to destruction. Well, everyone except for that family of Rahab, the prostitute who had previously hidden two Israelite spies, who'd come to see how the city might be defeated. She and her family were saved from destruction because of her faith in Yahweh. Rahab recognized that he was the one true God, and she wanted to be on the side of Yahweh. Soon, however, the army traveled to their next target at Ai. It wasn't much of a city, though, not like Jericho. And for this fact, they sent only a small contingent of the Israelite army to defeat the city. But surprisingly, they're handily defeated by the city's inhabitants, something that shocked the nation after the people's amazing success at Jericho. God soon reveals to Joshua that the reason for the defeat is that a man within Israel disobeyed God's instruction to utterly destroy Jericho and instead retained some of the goods for himself. The culprit, a man named Achan, is found out and destroyed along with his family and property. This demonstrated that the sins of even one person can cause irreparable harm to others and to the nation at large. After dealing with Achan, the Israelites are then commanded by God to ambush the city of Ai before burning it with fire. On this second attempt, they successfully defeat the city and rack up their second victory in the war for the land of Canaan. After reviewing the law and the blessings and the curses at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim within the land, the Israelites begin the campaign in earnest for southern Canaan, from their home base at Gilgal. But before the campaign takes a running start, they're tripped up by the deceitful men from the city of Gibeon. The Gibeonites convince the leadership in Israel that they're actually foreigners from a faraway land. And falling for the ruse, Israel makes a forbidden covenant alliance with the Gibeonites. They swear by Yahweh that they won't harm the Gibeonites and will protect them. Soon, this covenant is tested, as a southern alliance of five kings and armies comes against the city of Gibeon. Due to Israel's new covenant obligations with the city, they end up on an all-night march to protect their new allies. Upon arriving at Gibeon, Yahweh throws the nations attacking the city into confusion and quickly routes them before the Israelite forces. But that's not all. God then throws down large hailstones upon the fleeing army, striking down more men than the Israelites had struck down in the battle itself. But that special day still wasn't over. In fact, it wouldn't be over for another several hours. Because upon Joshua's request, God makes the sun itself stand still in the sky so that the Israelites can complete their successful battle. By the end of the extra-long day, Israel had defeated the alliance of the five kings in the south. The next battles of the southern campaign would essentially be cleanup. Joshua and Israel would collect victory after victory as they continued the southern campaign. While pockets of resistance remained, the southern campaign ended in resounding success. 
Soon the eyes of Israel turned to the north, and the peoples of northern Canaan hadn't been ignoring what had been happening in the adjacent territories. These Canaanites in the north assemble a vast army. Chapter 11 of Joshua says that these Canaanites came out with all their troops, a great horde, in number like the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. Israel would meet this enormous force in the north in battle, and they would win. They would win because the Lord, the God of everything, was with them, and He was their strength in battle. Horses and chariots mean nothing against Yahweh. And soon that's just what happens. Joshua and his men rout this horde of the north because Yahweh gives them victory. These initial campaigns into northern and southern Canaan are met with great success for the nation. Resistance remained, but by and large, the formerly wandering homeless nation had become the dominant force within the promised land. What was promised by God was beginning to be realized. After this initial conquest and subsequent time of rest, Elderly Joshua takes on an administrative function of apportioning the land to the tribes of Israel. Now, two and a half of the tribes already had land on the east side of the Jordan. So Joshua's task was to apportion the land to the other nine and a half tribes based on God's direction. However, almost as soon as the apportioning is completed, a civil war nearly starts due to the actions of the two and a half tribes living on the east. They build an altar that appears to be built in competition to the altar that God had authorized for ritual sacrifices. The nine and a half tribes on the Canaan side of the Jordan quickly begin mustering troops, and they send an angry delegation to the two and a half tribes. Thankfully, civil war is avoided, as the delegation discovers that the purpose of the altar was not for sacrifice, but for remembrance. These two and a half tribes east of the Jordan don't want future generations to forget that they're part of Israel too. Despite dwelling outside of Canaan, they still want to be able to take part in the community of Israel. This altar is a means for future generations to look at it and remember the unity of the 12 tribes of Israel. Soon, all go back to their territories, with civil war narrowly avoided. It's years later that 110-year-old Joshua brings the nation together for final messages before he dies. He reviews the history of the nation since Abraham was first called to the land of Canaan, and he especially reviews those blessings and curses that were part of the Sinai Covenant. His final speech, in many ways, serves as a generational echo of Moses' speech over 30 years prior. Joshua hits all the same notes as Moses, lest the nation forget after Joshua is dead and gone. Joshua effectively says to the people, Love God, follow the law, and take the land. Finish what we started, and experience the blessing of Yahweh as you follow His law in the promised land. Through Joshua, God had begun to fulfill His great promises to Abraham so many years prior. He had promised to Abraham land, seed, and blessing. The land of Canaan, seed or offspring in abundance, and blessing to the world through a particular offspring. He was fulfilling his land promise. He was fulfilling his seed promise. And the nation still awaited that one offspring who would bless Israel and bless the nations. God is good for his promises, and the future is looking bright for Israel. But those bright prospects soon become a little dimmer. Dim with disobedience.
Join us next time as we review the time of the judges before we launch into the next great era of the Bible, the time of the kings. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023.